Hello, folks. Welcome to Notoriously Episcopalian, a podcast of sermons from me, Kelly Hudlow, an itinerant Episcopal priest in Alabama. Thanks for listening. This is a sermon for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost, July 31st, 2022, offered at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Birmingham, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Earlier this month, the first photos from the James Webb Space Telescope were released, and if you've spent much time with me over the past few weeks, you know that I received these photos with great excitement and love to talk about them. I was, of course, like everyone, amazed by these beautiful images, and I have read the articles and the things released from NASA that talk about all the information that we can learn about our universe by studying these little bits of light that we have managed to capture with our brand new shiny telescope. But what has continued to stay with me and to amaze me over these past few weeks is realizing that when we look at these images, what we are seeing is how these places in the cosmos looked 7,500 years ago, or in the case of the one from the deepest part of space, 13 billion years ago. Because, see, it takes time for all that beautiful light to travel through space, through the big distances that it has to go. And so for it to be captured by our telescope or to make it here on Earth, what we are seeing is not the now of those places, but the way they used to be. Likely, stars there have died, new stars have been born, new galaxies are swirling, but we will have to wait thousands of years to know anything about it. That little patch of sky in the enormous universe that we took such a beautiful snapshot of looks very different in this present moment. It's sort of fun and also important to remember that when we look up to the heavens and to the night sky, we become time travelers ourselves, peering back into our past. Paul tells us this morning in our letter to the Colossians that we should set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, sometimes we have used this passage as a sort of religious escapism. We don't have to worry about the pains of this world because the Christian hope is about attaining individual salvation and a place in heaven with our own cloud and harp and pair of wings. But when we read it this way, we miss out on the deep, deep work that Paul is calling the Colossians to and that we are also called to as Christians. What Paul is writing about here is not how we escape the difficulties of this world, but about how we keep our priorities as Christians in this world in the correct order. The problem of priorities has been a problem of the people of God since the beginning of creation, and you can hear it throughout our readings this morning, right? We are very easy to be tempted by the idolatry of this world. In our first reading, we hear God cry out through the prophet, The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing and offering incense to idols. 
God's people continued to be caught up with violence and continued to be lured away by false gods. But the prophet tells us that God's compassion grew warm and tender towards God's people. In Luke, we hear the parable of the rich fool who tears down his barn simply to build bigger ones, to store up more grain and stuff that he can gather. And God, God's self, calls the man a fool because the man is rich in stuff, but not in God. Jesus warns, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ. We look to the heavens, not as our escape route, but because Christ is there, seated at the right hand of God. And through the mystery of our baptism, we are already there too. So we set our minds on heavenly things, so that we can keep our priorities here on earth in order. And so that we can turn away from the idols of this world. Now, Paul gives us a list of such earthly concerns that we are to, to die to, which includes sexual immorality, which the church often gets hung up in, overlooking the fact that what Paul is talking about is a sexual immorality that is about selfish desire and not loving relationship. Paul tells us we are to avoid greed, which is itself idolatry, which includes not just wealth, but greed of power. And Paul goes on to say, we are to die to anger and harsh words. We could certainly add our modern-day version of idols. I think the list could probably be pretty long if we put our minds to it, but I would certainly add racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia and political division and gun violence and fame and extreme wealth, and the list can go on and on. These are the things in the current age that in the life of the church we are distracted by and keep us from setting our mind on things above. Now Paul tells us that we can die to all the idols of the world. Because through our baptism, all the divisions that we can so easily identify and name, such as wealth, class, race, culture, more contemporary divisions of gender, sexual orientation, political party, country of origin, the list goes on and on. All of those divisions, everyone that we can come up with has been erased because we are a new creation in Christ, formed in the image of our creator. If we were to keep reading in Colossians, just a few verses after where our reading stops this morning, we would hear Paul write that we are to bear with one another. We're to forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven us. And above all, we're to clothe ourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Imagine that. Imagine if you left this place clothed in love. That if you walked around in the world out there seeing the image of Christ in all and offering forgiveness that is not dependent on your own will, but on God's abundant grace. Imagine if we lived like that. 
What sort of world here on earth would we have? So the question comes, how do we live that way? How do we hold back all the temptations of divisions and idolatry of this world? We set our minds on the things that are above. But we know when we look to the stars, we're seeing the past. So we have to figure out how we look heavenly in a way that reveals our own present and our future. In a way, we need a different sort of telescope. And probably not a shocking ending to the sermon, I would suggest to you that means that we need the church and we need the Holy Eucharist. The Eucharist shapes us in a pattern of prayer, repentance, forgiveness, and thanksgiving. It remembers Jesus' last supper with his disciples, but it also gives us a glimpse of the heavenly banquet when God's kingdom is fully realized. Through the Eucharist, we glimpse ourselves as we really are hidden in Christ, forgiven and loved. Now we can experience God's abundant grace as we approach the altar and stretch out our hands to receive the Eucharist. We come to the altar not because we have repented enough or we have done enough good in the world, but, but because Christ calls us here to see who we truly are. We come because Christ loves us, and we come because Christ has forgiven us. The Eucharist shows us how we are in the present and how we are called to be in the future. Loved, forgiven, and free. The Eucharist also shows us what we should offer to the world when we walk out those doors clothed in love, right? We should offer freely and abundantly that same love, forgiveness, and freedom that we experience here. But we have to be careful with the Eucharist. The world tempts us to treat the Eucharist as though it's some sort of reward or prize that we can control and dole out to those that we deem worthy. Or the world tells us that we can impose our own rules on God's forgiveness, limiting it to certain people, or opting out of that forgiveness ourselves to allow ourselves to be more comfortable in our divisions and to remain in our own places. Theologian Sam Wells, when talking about facing the problems of this world in the Eucharist, says that Christians cannot politicize the Eucharist. We cannot make it small with our own division and power struggles. But what we are called to do is Eucharistize the world. We aren't called to transform heaven. We're called to let heaven transform us. And that's what it means to set our mind on things above. It allows us to, to change our present worldly reality to be shaped by God's reality. To be transformed like bread and wine into body and blood. It means to transform our community and city and state and country into a place of abundance, forgiveness, and love. It's to help us see that there is already this amazing reality of Christ holding all of creation and drawing us closer to the heart of God. We are already loved. We are already forgiven. Let us pray. Creating God, 
In Christ you make a new family of faith, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Revive your church in the very places where human differences threaten to keep us divided. Wherever your church is in conflict with itself, stir our hearts to repentance. Give us humility to discover what love means. And open our imaginations to the life made possible in you. Renew us and all creation in your image until the day when Christ is all and is in all. Amen. <laughs>